0: Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts.
1: Well, thank you kindly. Welcome to Tuesday, the 23rd of January. It's Election Day. Say, wait, what? Did I miss a memo? Well, if you're in New Hampshire, it's Election Day. And for the rest of us across uh, the other remaining 49 states, all eyes on New Hampshire tonight. Uh, The latest as we uh, lead off the program tonight. Of course, the uh, the polls closed there just a few moments ago. 13% of the vote counted so far. Donald Trump... 52.3% 52.3% of the vote. Nikki Haley coming in second at 46.6. And Ron DeSantis perhaps explaining the reason why his head of his pack was busy putting together a big puzzle. <laughs> 303 votes, 0.7%. Let's talk about it. Joining me now is the founder and president of Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. Joyce, always a privilege to have you join us. Um, we kind of talked uh, last week on the heels of the Iowa caucus uh, about the fact that these are small states seemingly not having a very good impact. New Hampshire, for example. Well, if we compared the population against California's, California's 27 times the size of new hampshire and yet the candidates put a lot of focus on those early states give me your thought um, both in terms of Nikki haley's promise that no matter what happens tonight she's in it for the long haul and the fact that uh, mr desantis who seemingly at least this time a year ago was supposedly the heir apparent to the throne of donald trump suddenly just kind of quietly slinking away in the night
2: well the thing we know is that iowa is not a great barometer of success um and and um you know i think that that's, that's going to bear out tonight i'm, I'm kind of looking and with my finger on the uh, posts of the tv um that uh, biden's write-in campaign was very successful um, and that was an on-the-ground, not by the national campaign, uh, write-in. So, New Hampshire is the first state to actually go into the polling booth where you're not influenced by, you know, peer pressure, um, and and cast your ballot. And I think Nikki Haley is doing better than we would have expected. Fifty-two point three Trump, forty-six point six Haley. Margin, the margin of about twenty-three hundred votes with fifteen percent of the vote in is um, she is going to have. Um, all right, now I'm going to play procrastinator, and this is not procrast. not a uh, uh, something I, I do very often. I'm not a big gambler. She's going to do better than the polls suggested by a country mile. All right, that does give her a leg and an argument to say, "Look, there were three hundred and forty thousand votes cast between Republicans and Democrats in in New Hampshire. That's the first vote, right? And I came in really close, right? I have strong support." uh, among independent voters and moderate Republicans. Um, and and so that does give her an argument. She's got a problem in her home state of South Carolina, but she's the twice-elected former governor of South Carolina, and I think she can... Um, she may be able to make a race of that. So, where we are, bottom line, is at the end of tonight, we will have seen... Four hundred thousand or so. I mean, let's let's be generous. Four hundred and fifty thousand people vote out of a national population of three hundred and forty million. So about three tenths of one percent. I don't think you call you coronate somebody based on that.
1: No, hard, hardly a decisive vote. <laughs>
2: yeah, I think there's. I think there is a reason for Haley, if, if these numbers hold, I mean, we're looking at 15% of the vote. If these numbers hold, um, I think she's got a great argument to go on to South Carolina and see if she can make a race out of it. And with Biden participating in that race, I, I think she can make a race out of it. I'm not guaranteeing she'll win. Um, because you have a very strong um, Very conservative very, A reactionary Republican party in South Carolina um, You know People who I know And and used to really respect Like Lindsey Graham I mean he's hamstrung by his voters uh, Nancy Mace wins my Award for um, You know For hypocrite of the Of the year Um in her endorsement of trump yesterday but he primaried her last time because she didn't because she objected to his participation or his influence attempting to influence the 2022 midterm and 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 that primary that she won she just eked it out and she wouldn't have done it without independent voters but still She's, you know she likes to go on television and talk about well i'm a was a victim of rape and so i know what it's like and how degrading it is and then turn around and support somebody who a jury of his peers found guilty of sexual abuse of, of physically penetrating a woman against her will you know i call that hypocrisy you gotta you gotta say You know, I agree with his policies, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, his character is
1: an issue. Well, and we've certainly seen a lot of that flip-flopping. I mean, I I found it interesting uh, once the announcement was made that Ron DeSantis was going to pull out of the race. um, When Trump acknowledged that at one of his rallies, I think in New Hampshire, um, he had made the comment of, what a great guy he is. I thought, boy, how do we go from de sanctimonious to what a great guy? But they all play the same thing. I think there is a, a tremendous degree of fear over How voters will react and the notion that some, as we saw early on in this campaign, said that they were running because they felt they were a better candidate than Donald Trump and yet would never articulate uh, why. You know, it j- just seems to me that oftentimes they're they're in it because they're trying to capture some attention. I guess it fits nicely on a resume, former presidential candidate. It's, it's really hard to judge. Hey, I want to take a quick time out and pivot to some other important issues. There's a lot to talk about. About tonight. One of the things we want to spend some time talking about is what's going on with the immigration issue. Uh, you might have seen the Supreme Court stepping in and saying, okay, Texas, uh, you can't put up your own razor wire. So if the feds won't protect the border and the states are not allowed to, what exactly does that mean? The other issue we're going to dive into a bit is what's going on with the Senate race here in California. There were three candidates, now a fourth one, with uh, uh, former baseball star Steve Garvey putting his name into the ring as so far the standalone Republican candidate. And what do we make of Elon Musk, who, following so many accusations of allowing extreme degrees of anti Semitism on X, including apparently even endorsing some of those comments, now says he's Jewish by association? What? We'll take a timeout. We'll come back to more of our conversation. With us is the founder and president of Reimagine America. On the web at reimagineamerica.org, Joyce Cordy. A brief timeout back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: So, George Santos was back in court yesterday. Um, there's rumors that there might be a plea deal in the offing. You recall he was the um, stellar candidate from New York that flipped a Democrat seat to Republican, and then the entire story began to unravel. Amongst many of George Santos's exaggerations and outright lies included the fact that he claimed his grandparents had escaped the Holocaust. When he was caught and discovered that, in fact, fact, he is not Jewish. He corrected himself by saying, well, he was Jew-ish. If that isn't insulting enough, Elon Musk, who took over Twitter, overpaid for it, changed the name to X, and then let a lot of the crazies back on the platform, and while promising to police a lot of the um, the rhetoric and um, racist commentary, has utterly failed to do so, Um most recently, giving a thumbs up to a post that was at the periphery in every which way, deemed by many to be decidedly anti Semitic. Well, he took some heat for it. So, when you take some heat, what do you do? Let's make a pilgrimage to Israel. Then, let's make a trip to Auschwitz, where recently he commented that. He doesn't understand what I'm anti semitism is all about. And I'll quote here. I'm aspirationally Jewish, Musk, Musk said. So I was like, what are the people talking about with this anti-Semitism? Because I never hear it at dinner conversations saying that he is Jewish by association. Wow. I mean, I, I guess that's an attempt to Joyce Cordy to fix things, though, in my mind, he seems to be just digging himself a deeper hole.
2: I I I have a bifurcated view of Elon Musk, but it's really not bifurcated. Elon Musk is on the spectrum. He's not what you and I would call mentally normal or stable. He's a genius, right? On the one hand, uh, technically he's a genius, and when he says talks about the threats of AI, I go, yeah, I, I'm with you. Um, Starlink has been extremely valuable to the efforts in Ukraine. Um, It's been helpful to the Israelis in Gaza. Yay. I mean, what he's done for the space program in terms of making it better, quicker, cheaper, smarter and affordable, uh, we need to give him props for. But the man's political philosophy is based on the fact that he is a South African with all of the... I, or I should say a, yeah he's a all, all the baggage that goes with all it all the baggage that comes with that yeah. and, and I think that kind of summarizes it So he has friends um, I, I don't know him. I know people who do know him and those, some of those people are like me members of the tribe as we like to say um, and, and I think he gets you know blowback um, and and I you know again, I think I think he is um, he he's on the spectrum. Okay, so sometimes he says stupid things. Sometimes he tends to agree with the last person he talked to, a characteristic he shares with Trump. Um, and yet he is he is a genius. I wouldn't call him a stable genius, but he is a genius, and so. I don't know if we should take our political advice from him um, when he talks about technology. I listen when he doesn't um I wish he didn't own twitter
1: yeah i th- i think I think that's a long list of people that <laughs> wish that he didn't own Twitter. Uh, and instead of making this a safe space, he seems to have uh, allowed it to go off the rails. But I digress. All right, let's turn a corner and talk to uh, more issues related to uh, what's going on closer here at home. Um, a lot of us watched very carefully the Supreme Court weighing in on the issue of border security, border control. As we know, over the last several months, um, Texas has been increasingly frustrated uh, with the lack of controls along the southern border. And so they decided to take things into their own hands and set up miles worth of barbed wire and things of this sort. Um, recently, the Supreme Court decided to um, put their toe into the water and weigh in on that debate, instructing the state of Texas to remove all of that, stating that it was creating bigger difficulties for border patrol. Um, the issue of immigration certainly is one that has dogged us, <laughs> not in this election cycle, not in the previous one, but I guess arguably going all the way back into the 1970s and. While there have been some feigned attempts to try to address it, it continues to be a major issue. How pivotal do you see this in terms of this presidential campaign?
2: Um, I think it's going to be a very big issue. Um, And and I don't give uh, I understand and I, I sympathize with the border cities of Texas. Um, and the and the influx, and I think there are uh, you know, we can talk about some of the origins and the issues there, but uh, Greg Abbott is not a man who, you know, I would view as being a compassionate human being. Um, let's put it that way. Um, he is a self-serving um, politician, like many of them are, all right. so, I think the Supreme Court did exactly what the Supreme Court should have done, which is to say the Constitution and all the laws of the United States of America say the federal government is responsible for the enforcement of borders and the management of, um, of our immigration system. The federal government includes the Congress of the United States. And it is in that Congress since Reagan's time. I mean, I, I raise your hand if you're old enough to remember, you know, Reagan's amnesty, his compromise. You know, that was in the early 1980s. And what happened was we got the carrots. You know, we got the people got the carrots, but we never got around to enforcing the sticks. All right. And now we live in a very different world. And so we need we desperately need comprehensive immigration reform. But, you know, and I've written about this for years. And you can go to reimagineamerica.org and read stuff that I've written over the next over the last several years about the immigration issue. One, the word comprehensive when it co- when when in the same sentence with Congress scares me to death. So, I don't think we I don't think we're in a position to talk about comprehensive. Let's break it down into a couple of different buckets. We have a need for foreign technical um and professional people, uh nurses, engineers, et cetera, we import a lot of those at the expense of the third world nations from which they come because we don't grow enough at home. So one of the solutions to our immigration problem is to deal with our failures, the failures of our own educational system and figure out a main way to deal with that. And we can talk more about that, but let's get through the high point. And All right. We so- have an issue we have an issue on the southern border and that issue is global it is not confined to latin america it is global and every time somebody gets in and gets paroled and gets to go to new york or wherever you know and and gets to go stay with their cousins and theoretically they can't work and you know we have a a, a hundred billion dollar underground economy if we have a dime in that economy Um, and, and that becomes a very attractive magnet. But it's a super dangerous journey. And, and it's not confined to Latin America. There are Afghanis, there are Chinese, there are, you know, Hindus, there are... You name it, we get it, all right? The, the, the border patrol is overwhelmed. And until we say no to parole and no, to to tell you you have to apply at the embassy, but it's okay if you come, you know, we'll we'll let you in anyway. Um, We need to stop that. I agree with with the um, Republican position in the Senate negotiations right now about parole. Um, If we parole them, we'll never get them back. Parole also because it takes so long to get an immigration hearing. Parole is a way in which you create dual status households and then you can't support them you know so we need to be this concept that we have to get permission from venezuela to send their people back to them when they come across the border illegally is i'm sorry no it should have been so nice for those people on the on the good ship st louis in 1940. More than 50% of whom perished in the uh, concentration camps when the U.S. would not allow that ship to dock in in New York. Um, And if you're interested in that story, go to the the U.S. Holocaust Museum website and and read about it. Um, So, you know, the same thing is true of the boat people of Vietnam. I mean, you know, they didn't their journey to America was far more complicated and far more arduous. So we need to have a common standard. You either need to have a visa to get into the United States or you don't, we don't have to give everybody citizenship. If you're an agricultural worker and you want to support your family and send, you know, money back to Mexico or Latin America or whatever, We ought to be able to give you a visa to do that. Doesn't mean bringing your whole family. Doesn't mean making you a permanent resident. Doesn't mean that you have to risk your life over these treacherous trips from Latin America to get here. These are not hard things to do. The problem is purely political. The problem is purely the uh, sanctuary state versus the shut the border, blah, blah, blah. And, there, and and that becomes a political gotcha. It, it's like what we call in technology a do loop. Do the first, do the second, to the end of that set. And if you get to the end of the set and it and, and the program is corrupted, you keep it going around that loop over and over and over again like a chipmunk. Um, on a on a wheel.
1: Well, and, and you know that that's, that's part exactly of the problem what here.
2: Our immigration
1: system is. Yeah, and and I think that's a big part of the problem here. That not only has it been on this this continuous loop seemingly since the 1980s, but then I hate to say it, it seems as if there's some political benefit to both sides for some degree of inactivity um, or or kicking the can down the road. And you know, every time somebody takes a strong position, there's opposition to it. Every time somebody takes a compassionate position. There's opposition to it. And seemingly, we cannot get Congress to agree to finally do something. If you say, let's address those that are already here, address the Dreamers, half the country says yes, the other half of the country says no. And I just don't know what what the aside from maybe, and I hate to say it, a a major event that may be terrorist in nature, God forbid, that may finally force Congress to act, I just don't know what you do to get them to to take the issue seriously that not only deals with the problem but also addresses it from from both a a sovereign nation standpoint as well as having some degree of compassion
2: well i'm with lindsey graham on this one graham says the the thing they've been working the bill they've been working on in congress and they now have uh, agreement and principle. so now you gotta write the language right um, is going to deal with the issue of parole, which is a big one for me. Um, it's going to do something for DACA, but within time within a time fenced approach, which was the original Obama approach. You can't say, "Oh, well, forget that date because we didn't pass it." It's those people that we promised amnesty to, and they are the ones who should get it. All right, that we can do those things, we can come up with a temporary agricultural permit we can help mexico to absorb more of these people now that mexico is the second largest trading partner with the united states they need workers in their factories in the maquiladoras, etc and and there are people that could be siphoned off that way would take some of the pressure off and, and we need to just look at it from pure economics. If the people are being driven north or driven east and west, depending on you know what country they're coming from. But to, let's focus on Latin America for a minute. If, if we, it would be much cheaper for uh, the American taxpayer. If we had uh, if, if we created programs, uh, to help those people in their native countries and and made the carrot, if you want to come to the U.S., you have to come through the asylum system in order to get some of the, you know, a, a little bit of money. It will cost us a fraction of what it's costing us now because they get health care. They get, you know, all sorts of stuff. I mean, the, 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 we said this last week when we were talking. I find it, I want to beat my head on the brick wall, Right. When, when when I look at the number of people in this country who are living in their cars or in a, a, a RV or whatever because they can't afford housing, okay? And we are housing, we're finding housing for all these illegal immigrants that are being dumped in Sacramento and San Francisco and Chicago and New York, et cetera. You know, they get the priority for uh, uh state and municipal benefits and and that's just outrageous
0: to American
1: citizens. So, yeah, and and undoubtedly, the entire approach, uh, Joyce, to the homeless issue, exacerbated by the 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 issue at the border, uh, really is a national shame. I mean, it used to be you could point to certain cities or even certain states that had a problem in managing this. Now, it seems to be almost nationwide. I've talked to people in many, many states that say, you know, you wouldn't believe. You think it's just in San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York or Congo, it's happening almost everywhere. And so much of it is a product of, quite frankly, a Congress that just simply doesn't know how or refuses to do its job. Joyce Cordy with us tonight. We're talking about the issues of the day, their impact on your life. When we come back, we're going to pivot to the Senate election. As you know, um, last year um, Senator Dianne Feinstein passed away suddenly. That leaves a seat open. There are three contenders on the Democrat's And uh, at the debate yesterday, you say, what, there was a debate? Yeah, there was a debate yesterday um, for ballplayer Steve Garvey tossing his head in the ring. We'll talk about the candidates and the election as our conversation with Joyce Cordy, publisher and president of Reimagine America, on the web at reimagineamerica.org continues.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome
1: back. We're visiting today with Joyce Cordy. She is the founder and president of Reimagine America online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Joyce, some folks perhaps surprised that there was a senatorial debate here in California, but there was indeed, and the top four candidates will be meeting again for the next debate, February the 12th. That includes, of course, um, Adam Schiff of Southern california barbara lee katie porter and republican steve garvey all on stage in los angeles yesterday your thoughts about this group and steve garvey coming into this with some name recognition no doubt but as herschel walker learned you got to bring a lot more to the table than just a good strong track record on the uh, the gridiron or on the, the baseball diamond in this case
2: well You know, for those of you who, I had to Google it like three times. I had to ask Google three questions to find out which which channel was going to cover it. It was that well publicized. Um, It was, um, you know, for those of you who didn't watch it, listening audience, um, I I sacrificed myself. That was the way I felt about it. Um, it, it was, um, you know, it, it was three very polished professionals against this, you know, one-time baseball player um, businessman who I think has a good heart. But, <laughs> wow, he's not being served well by whoever is surrounding him. He was not prepared. Um, I think California is a closed primary, uh, well... If you're an independent, you can vote in the Democratic primary, but uh, but the California Republican Party closes their primary. So I think he has a chance to get on the ballot in November, but um, it's it, he's he's not going to be joining uh, Tommy Tuberville as the second major sports figure in um, Washington. Um, I'm, I'm sure he's a lovely human being. He's just. Um, still prepared to be thrust into, you know, I mean, this is like running for prime minister of a, of a medium-sized European country, you know, to, to be a first-time uh, candidate, you have to be somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger, who, um, you know, was certainly steeped for most of his adult life in American politics through his marriage. Um, And so, you know, came with, and and because of that, had the advice of the absolute creme de la creme of political consultants. And Garvey does not have that benefit. Anyway, um, the thing I thought, I thought Barbara Lee was downright disrespectful. She couldn't stay within the time frame uh, she was pandering uh, to a specific part of the electorate, which in California is not big enough to get you um, into the top two position. Uh, she said some things which made my mouth hang open, uh, like there should have been a ceasefire in Israel on October the 8th. Uh, but, of course, we all know she hangs out with Farrakhan. So her protestations that she's not anti-Semitic fall a little flat here. You can also find a piece on that subject um uh, i did a, a podcast years ago with um uh, matt brooks the chairman of the republican jewish coalition on the subject of of um, and it's out there on apple on spotify if you want to listen to it um, and and so I thought it really came down to a choice between Adam Schiff and Katie Porter. And um, they are both uh, they're both pretty they're both very accomplished. They're both lawyers um, who have you know have trial experience, so they're pretty quick on their feet. Um, I I think that the polling, as it shows right now, um, with Adam Schiff in first place. And Katie Porter in second, oh, well, Garvey now in second, and Katie Porter in third, and Barbara Lee in fourth. Um, I That's about the way that it will come out in June, regardless of how many debates we have. Because I, I think the differences are very clear.
1: The, uh, chron- the Chronicle today characterized Garvey's performance as, quote, deer in the headlights. And and apparently there was some, uh, see if this bears out to what you saw, qu- quite severe meandering in responding to some of the questions, including one example when asked if there was anything that he would disagree with um, with his potential Republican Senate ca- uh, colleagues. Garvey responded inexplicably just about everything. So what? You're running for United States Senate? Senate as a Republican, and yet you're going to say that you disagree with the Republicans in the Senate on just about everything. He either misunderstood the question or clearly is is significantly unprepared for this.
2: He's unprepared. Um, and, and that's why, you know, I, I think he is not incredibly conservative. All right. He's uh, you know, he got recruited to run in this race. Um the one thing that's in the back of his mind is you know we're a fairly i I would not call us a really liberal state um electorally if you look at our congressional delegation, it's pretty well balanced. The people who are uh prominent in that delegation tend to be centrists rather than extremists um and and so I think he was trying to say. Um, yeah, I'm a Republican, so you know I'd help Mitch get the get the majority. But don't worry, I'm not scary. Uh, and instead, he did come across like deer in the headlights. He was not well prepared. Um, he started like three weeks ago, going on a listening tour around California. So he may have listened, but he has no answers. Um, that's, so that, again, takes us to Barbara Lee is way to the other extreme. Um, so that really leaves us, as voters, um, the choice between Katie Porter and uh, Adam Schiff. Um, if, if, if Garvey comes in uh, the second spot because he is, um, because of the closed primary, Whoever whoever is um, the Democratic nominee, the other, the person you know at the takes the first spot of the jungle primary, I suspect it will be Schiff. I can start measuring the break for
1: his office
2: in the Senate.
1: (laughs) Okay, well put. Uh, Let's get you an update here. No, I hear you. I would would like to see.
2: I would like to see a a more, you know, I mean, somebody who who is conservative. And let let's let's face it, this current, you know, the fifty percent of the, you know, the fifty four percent of. Republicans who voted tonight in the first 20% of the results, um, you know, for Donald Trump, they're not conservative. Conservative means careful, you know, incremental, with reverence for the past, you know, with policies that uh, tend to uh, be careful about spending. Uh, are very strong on national security, etc. You know, conservatives do not talk about their great relationship with Xi and Putin and uh, Kim. You know, the, the uh, dictator of North Korea. Um, and so, um, to, to call it conservative, it's not conservative. If, if we had a more Reaganist, conservative candidate in California, you know, a more centrist, somebody who wanted to say on immigration, yeah, we're going to, you know, here are some new visa types. Here is what uh, we're going to modify the, um, you know, the asylum rules. Here's what we, you know, what we're going to do to make parole, not a get out of jail free card, you know, blah, blah, blah. Uh, we're going to really make E-Verify work. Uh, That kind of candidate, I think, in California would run very strongly against somebody like Adam Schiff.
1: Oh, and certainly right now, uh, a candidate that would be tough on crime and would take what's going on in major cities across California more seriously, I think, would certainly resonate with true conservatives out there. And, you know, it is problematic. Historically, the Republican Party has not been in favor or not had a good position regarding communists, communists. These nations, uh, dictators of every stripe and color. I mean, historically, we just haven't stood in favor, and 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 you know, handing out flowers. Raises some concerns, no doubt about it. All right, let's get you an update on New Hampshire right now with approximately 23% of the votes counted. NBC News calling it for Donald Trump. He at 54.9% of the vote. Nikki Haley at 436 And Ron DeSantis just didn't show up so far at less than 0.6% of the vote. 5.45, we'll take a time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. They
1: were an enemy of ours in two world wars, but post-World War II, one of our strongest allies in Europe has been Germany. Well, now the German defense minister is flashing warning signs regarding Putin and the future of NATO, stating that Putin could, in fact, attack NATO in the next five to eight years. I know that you certainly feel that this is an issue we need to pay close attention to, the notion of uh, Putin gaining a stronghold in other countries, sovereign countries that he has invaded, be it going into the Crimea, going into uh, Georgia, and now most recently, of course, with Ukraine. How serious overall do you think this threat is, and are we taking it in the United States serious enough? No, we're
2: not taking it seriously enough. Um, you know I, I, I like to look you know in 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 the consulting world I come from uh, you look at people and you listen carefully to what they say um, and and you pay more attention to what they do than what they say and Putin is um, securely in charge in uh, within Russia he'll be easily reelected because he's sent his um, main opposition uh, to a gulag that few people survived. Um, and and we, are, we are playing his game. All this, you know, I mean, that immigra- immigration is a huge and important issue, and we need to fix it. And Biden has said, to get me the money for Ukraine, I'll give you what you want on parole. Now, there's a deal that would be good for everybody. But Mike Johnson has decided he will not bring it up in the House of Representatives, assuming it it will pass the Senate, okay? Because Donald Trump doesn't want him to, okay? We are... The the Germans are, are right. They're very concerned about America's commitment to... Uh, NATO and to the Ukrainian
1: war. Well, and they're not alone in that, because I've also heard concerns voiced by neighboring countries like Finland, who of course had been attacked by Russia once before during World War II, and even Poland is beginning to ramp up their defense spending over concerns over Putin. So you've got a lot of players with a big stake in this that are really flashing signs that we need to be paying attention, and the notion that somehow NATO doesn't do Enough. They don't pay enough. Whatever the argument might be, I think defies the fact that uh, America is, like it or not, inextricably tied to Europe. And any notion that we would allow Europe to f- stand on its own without American help—well, we have a world, a couple of world wars to demonstrate how well that works.
2: I was going to say, history. You know, the, the history repeats itself. And and and, ladies and gentlemen, it is a it's a it's a false it's a it's a falsity. It, it's an alternative fact to say that the United States is paying for the Ukrainian war. The United States contribution to the uh, Iran, uh, uh, Ukrainian war is less than half is only half it's a little about 40 percent of the total the rest of it is coming from european nato countries and by the way today turkey voted to allow sweden to enter nato that's a very important statement about the safety of both the Baltic Sea and the Black Sea. And if you want a global economy, those need to be free. You, those cannot become Russian lakes. And by the way, if Finland gets invaded, if, 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 if God forbid we, the Ukrainians lost and, and or a missile hit in Poland, we're in World War Three, and the United States is by treaty and by troops on the ground, going to be involved in it. So the more money, the more help we give the Ukrainians to fight their own war, to, to continue to rebuild their own economy, this was a big topic in Davos last week, it, the better off our national security is. And never forget that the munitions that are fired by Ukrainian soldiers out of big Mylar type uh, guns, are made in the USA you know this is not a one-way street we are we are protecting our own security when we protect Ukraine when you know I think we need to put some strings on our help to Israel uh, but what we're doing in the Red Sea is for global trade and the EU this week is going to, to pass uh, uh, a major aid package for Ukraine over the objections of, you've heard this name, Victor Orban, okay? So we need to be, this needs to get done, and we have one president at a time, and Donald Trump should not be in a position to block Ukrainian aid through the House of Representatives
1: no under no set of circumstances either as president or as former president i mean the the, the but, kind of
2: but, but mike johnson mike johnson the current speaker is saying he won't let that bill coming out of the senate pass because of his daily conversations with
1: Donald Trump. Well, you know, Mike Johnson would be well served if he paid a little bit more attention to uh, global news and uh, to a warning being offered by Lithuania's foreign minister. Granted, he has been a longtime outspoken critic of Putin, but understandably so. Who looks at the current scenario, I think wisely sizes things up that if we don't get serious in supporting Ukraine, there is a chance that Russia might not be contained. And I go on to quote, there is no scenario in this that if Ukraine doesn't win, that that could end well for Europe, meaning Putin will be emboldened and then the gloves come off. And that, dear listener, ought to frighten all of us. Joyce Cordy, founder and publisher of Reimagine America. More information available on the web at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Six o'clock from KFAX, and let's just get a quick update for you. More votes are in, with approximately 28% of the polls reporting in the New Hampshire presidential primary. Right now, Donald Trump easily taking the lead. 55.5% of the vote. Nikki Haley coming in second at 43 percent, and Ron DeSantis still holding steady at 0.06 percent.